And welcome back to another episode of the Illini Cast brought to you by Big Banter Sports. My name is Sonny Vermine. I'm going to be your host tonight. We're going to talk about the men's basketball loss. We're going to talk some football news. Uh, there's a big game coming up on Saturday. We're going to talk about that. But right now, I plead to you. I ask for you. Look, see that little thumb button on the bottom of the screen? Click that. Click like. And then see the one just to the right called subscribe? Click that. Make it make sure it says has the D at the end. Subscribe, duh. That helps little channels like me grow. It it's, it's nice for us. Uh, the it, we show up in YouTube algorithms. It just just trust me. Costs you nothing. Please, if you don't mind, let's just go there. Um, first off, let's talk about the men's basketball loss. Uh, the number twenty three rated Illinois Fighting Illini lost to the number four Marquette. What are they called now? The Golden Eagles? Uh, I think that's what they used to be the Warriors back in my day. I think they're golden something now. Uh, a lot of people were upset by that loss. Me, not so much. Uh, going into it, I thought, uh, if you listen to the last episode, I thought it'd be about a 10 to 15 point loss. I wasn't very impressed by what uh, I had seen the first two games. And the fact that we kept it as close as we did against Marquette, despite having god-awful shooting, makes me actually a little bit satisfied with that loss. Uh, we are what we are. That's the bottom line. Oh, from what I saw of Marquette, Marquette is a Final Four capable team. They have a point guard who is probably the best point guard we're going to be facing all year. And obviously, Illinois' biggest flaw is the fact that they don't have a point guard. Kolek had his way. Uh, he had his way against us, and he, it was just one of those where, you know, the only thing more annoying than him scoring every single time he got the ball was the announcers telling us how he his ankle was hurt. His ankle was black and blue. We get it. We also watched the game. His ankle was fine. Enough. Um, you saw basically what Illinois' basketball team is going to look like. We have some good 8-9 uh, players in our rotation, but if the top two guys, Shannon and Coleman Hawkins, aren't performing to where they should be performing, then the team's just not going to win. Terrence Shannon had a great game. Uh, he had a costly turnover at the end of the game. Coleman Hawkins, though, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, first half, he was a huge minus. And it was just one of those. He's kind of been an average to below average player all season long now. And... Where's his head at? Because you saw it in the, his second game. You can see he was visibly frustrated. First game, he was just launching three-pointers and making passes that he just he should know better now as being you know, one of the key leaders uh, to this team. Damask's coming out party. Uh, he was hitting threes, doing exactly what he needed to do. Uh, for me, the question is the ceiling of this team is going to be, can Domask be your second best player? On a team, you know, that's supposed to make the Sweet 16? Sure. Terrence Shannon, he's the alpha. Let him do whatever he needs to do. But, you know, uh, Coleman Hawkins was supposed to be that second guy. And if he's not that second guy, then who is? Is it Tomasks? Maybe. Maybe not. But uh, overall, just, you know, it, the game is what it was. Uh, I predicted us to lose anyway. Uh, Marquette are one of the handful of teams that could actually win the championship this year. And Illinois is kind of what we thought they were. A team probably anywhere from 17 to 25 in the country. I still put them right there in the second tier in the Big Ten. Purdue seems to be on a tier 
of their own. Uh, Michigan State has struggled. Pretty much the rest of the Big Ten has struggled, um, except for Nebraska. I think they're kind of one of the surprise teams. I think I saw them uh, being 4-0 for the first time in Fred's tenure. Um, but it's one of those, you know, Illinois, they ha- they've had two impressive wins, and they've had a not embarrassing loss against the number four team in the country. So, I'm not burning any boats yet. It is what it is. And uh, I just want to get the basketball talk out of the way because today we have two very exciting guests. I'm going to bring them on now because we're going to talk a little college football because I know that's why you guys actually tune in. I have Justin Adams and Jeffrey the Greek. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves first. Uh, Justin, you go ahead first. Yeah, um, appreciate you having me on, Sonny. Um, what's going on, Jeffrey? So uh, my name is Justin Adams. I am the uh, Husker uh, creative, I'll just say creative guy for the uh, Huskers, Nebraska Huskers of the Voice of College Football on Mark Rogers' uh, the Voice of College Football Network. Um, I am also the uh, host over at uh, Cheesy Corn Sports, which is a fantasy football podcast um, where we help you know answer start sick questions, go over you know the uh, rankings and weak performances, stuff like that. So we just have a lot of fun. Sunday's two hour for the game, talk football. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the uh, gist of my um, YouTube stuff. And you can find me on uh, X at the underscore H-Town Husker. And Jeffrey? I am Jeffrey the Greek, uh, co-host of the Eyes on Big podcast. We've been a Big Ten football-specific podcast for, I always forget, six years now, quite some time. Uh, we talk about all... 14 teams, that's kind of our uh, claim to fame, uh, as equally as possible, obviously. Current events sometimes push it that way. Um, but yeah, uh, co-host with typically uh, Big Kurt, uh, Big Kurt on and off uh, during the season. So this season, uh, Jordan Eggleston at JW Eggleston 7 has been awesome and filled in. We pick every game uh, in the Big Ten season straight up against the spread, game totals as well to, to throw that uh, uh, part of the deal in there. And yeah, Big Ten football fan pretty much my whole life. So thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on. You're uh, one of my go-to weekly podcasts. So me reaching out and you, you know, agreeing to come on is a huge honor on my behalf. So thank you. And Justin, of course, you know, always glad to work with you. So yes, sir. Um, if you yeah. guys don't mind, I kind of wanted to start it off talking about a story I, f- I feel like that doesn't get as much attention uh, nowadays. And there's this football coach in Michigan who uh, apparently there's a story going on up north. Uh, today, it came down that he and the big or the university and the Big Ten uh, conference have come to an agreement, whatever that means, where Jimmy Harbaugh is going to be suspended three games overall. He's already served one. Uh, last week against, uh, who was it that they played? Uh, whoever, irrelevant. They, yeah, yeah, that's right, Penn State. Uh, he's got two games left. He's going to miss the game, uh, whether that's going to matter on November 25th or not. We'll find out soon. But obviously this has been an ongoing story. It's kind of taken over college football. I feel like the first half of the season was all about Deion Sanders this, Deion Sanders that, Colorado <laughs> this, Colorado that. And as soon as Colorado had to play some actual teams that could play college D1 football, the media had to try to find something else. And, of course, this whole Michigan story was kind of handed to them on a platter. I kind of tried to stay off for a little while. I was like, I don't care. This is just people yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. But 
for me, it was really incredible seeing how that Michigan fan base went so hard and became so oblivious to things that not oblivious to things. Let's just say so oblivious to simple logic. And to me, like that kind of drew me into the story. It's somewhat come to its conclusion now. And obviously with the three game suspension, you know, Jeffrey, I'll start with you. What do you think? Is is that fair? Is that suspension fair? What do you think? I don't know. I, I still don't. I'm, I'm still not even sure what exactly they did wrong. And do I do I think they did something wrong? Sure. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. I, I probably sound like a broken record when I get asked the question on this a lot. We've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast. Jordan is a Michigan guy, uh, so it's been interesting, you know, getting his take on it uh, as this thing has developed. I always go back to the same thing, which is if this thing happened in the SEC, it would never see the light of day. And I'll just go ahead and, and keep saying that. So it's hard for me to sit there and and pontificate too much on what I think should happen to Michigan. With that being said, I've said all along, what do other coaches think about this? Did they, did they go too far? If they did, how far did they go? They seem to get coaches' input. My guess is behind the scenes, that is what led to the Big Ten Conference reprimanding Michigan because in their mind, they've, they've got 13 other institutions that they got to keep somewhat happy as well. So this is the best they could come up with where they could kind of dance on both sides of the fence, which is get Michigan, you know, a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of a reprimand. At the same time, we're not exactly going to take down our flagship program as it stands right now with the best chance of us, I think, you know, winning the national championship meeting. I'm speaking from a Big Ten, you know, football perspective. So if Michigan gets through this 12-0, and 0, which basically means, you know, beating Ohio State, I, I think they'll get by Maryland this weekend. If they pull that off, it's in the rearview mirror and it's done. However, if Michigan loses to Ohio State, expect it to ignite again by Michigan fans because they're that's something they're going to point to and say, you know, if we actually had our head coach, uh, it would have helped us in the big game in the game. So uh, long story short, sorry to talk so much, but that that's my thoughts. I, I, I think most people are tired of it. They just want to watch football and, and see it. So ho- hopefully in a couple weeks here, you know, less than two weeks, this thing's over with. Hopefully. I mean, it's the conference and Michigan that came to a resolution today, right? Like from what yeah. I saw on Twitter, like the NCAA is still looking into Michigan. Correct. So, you know, the story may not be over, unfortunately. Justin, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, so um, I'm in agreement with him about the if this happened, the SEC it would have never came to light. Um, I'm right there with him. And it's funny to watch like, um, you know, the the whole – battle of the networks that people are kind of spinning up um espn versus fox and saying like is this is fox trying to sweep it under the rug because of the broadcast deals is espn trying to funnel it and all this other stuff there's a lot of sidebar conversations that are making it really interesting and just kind of petty at this point but uh the the big thing is um kind of what he said i i think i think both sides this is in their best interest to meet in the middle here because the Big Ten, for what it's worth, doesn't want to deal with uh, going to the court against Michigan, and then uh, at the same at the same token, Michigan might think that there's something that could maybe lose them this battle in court and potentially get them a, a, a stiffer penalty. 
So I think that's kind of why they came to this this middle ground. I think it it makes sense for both sides. It kind of gives somewhat of a resolution because as as you've said, the the biggest thing for me, like I was trying to stay out of this too, and the only reason I got into it is because the mental gymnastics for Michigan fans, I just couldn't be quiet on it anymore because it's it's it starts with you know this is nothing to well it's something but it's not this bad and then you know it's just kind of it's kind of just taking this this level of cope for Michigan fans that I'm that I'm seeing and it's just kind of frustrating to try to even speak with them about it or try to figure out what's going on because they're in such there's such there's such aggression and this superiority complex Michigan being like we're the biggest brand we're the biggest brand and you know I don't like the posturing and stuff like that but I I do think this was in the best interest of both teams I did see an interesting comment somewhere and I'm curious y'all's take on this too um will Harbaugh see this as Michigan not really having his back um and maybe that springboard him into leaving I don't know y'all's take on that it was just something I saw that would be I figured would be an interesting note to bring it was a Michigan fan who said he said unfortunately I, I would believe this is Harbaugh seeing that Michigan doesn't have his back or something like that because they gave in I don't know but um, one interesting perspective I did see is that maybe somebody within Harburg's inner circle may have known something, right? And that information was giving, given to the NCAA um, in, a way, in a way to where the Big Ten can uphold the three-game suspension, if that makes sense. So um, they might have thrown something the NCAA's way, so that way the NCAA is backing you know, the three-game suspension by them and stuff like that too, and, and it's... What I've heard is maybe somebody within Harburg's inner circle, not him himself, but knew about what Connor Stallions was doing, and that could also play a role in this. So, I think the best-case scenario for Harbaugh essentially is them winning the national championship this year and then being able to take, you know, whether it's my Bears job or that I hear the Raiders are interested, he gets to kind of get away from all this mess from the NTA. I mean, it's one thing to say that, you know, he's offended by Michigan not having his back, but we've paid attention to the last two off seasons. He's yep. been looking for a reason to get away anyway. Thought he was leaving um, regardless, yeah. Yeah, so for me, it's just he's always kind of needed an excuse. I think if he's able to climb that hurdle and Michigan's able to finally win the world, uh, the national championship, and, you know, him being offered an opportunity to get to the next level, I think it's kind of a win-win for both people. I'd have to agree with that, yeah. Because uh, and and for this, like, I think the biggest thing for Harbaugh is he doesn't necessarily want this to be a black eye, but there's, I think this might be an opportunity for him to, yeah. This, I think, regardless of how this played out, three game suspension or not, I think he was gone. So I don't think that really that really plays a role in it. But I do think this works out in his favor. It's a way to just cut the slate clean, like you said. There's going to be opportunities that present themselves in the NFL, especially now because teams know, hey, he's going to want to come over probably. So. Um, I think it works out. I think it works out for Harbaugh for sure. Justin, I have a quick question for you. Yep. Um, you know, is there any sort of empathy on your behalf seeing the way Michigan is reacting, considering nope. you are a Houston Astros fan and you guys all did the same damn thing about four years ago? And that's why I can recognize it in Michigan fans because I was that guy a while back. And so – with that right like after a while like it starts there's phases you go through when your team's caught cheating right there's like um well this kind of sucks like i feel like my team duped me you know but then there's this like emboldenedness of like us against the world and that's kind of what they're taking on 
they even stole our concept for the for the H Town versus everybody, and they have Michigan versus everybody. So we need our royalties for that in Houston. But um, yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's just like I I recognize it in them, and it, it's never going to go away. Just so they know, this is always going to haunt them. Even when all these players are gone, nobody's cheating. They're still going to call you cheaters. So get ready for that. Jeff, you got anything else, or shall we move on? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, the one thing I was going to add, and Justin already kind of said it, is I've been trying to tell people, uh, if you were in the Michigan fan shoes, my guess is you would sound a lot like a lot of Michigan fans. Yep. Uh, and then vice versa. You know, if Michigan fans were on the outside looking, if this was Ohio State, they'd be screaming at Ohio State like, we're all kind of hypocrites on that stuff Excellent. a little bit, whether people want to admit it or not. Um, and and my, my last last thing that I would say is I know it's gotten out of control because my wife's following it. Even she finds it interesting. And that's when, you know, you have crossed into ridiculous, you know, platitudes that we just all need to move on from it. hundred percent. Speaking of moving on, uh, we'll go from one of the most obnoxious stories in college football to, you know, one of the best stories in college football. And that's uh, Northwestern hiring Braun, uh, their interim head coach. They've removed the tag as the hashtag uh, became a little popular over the last couple of weeks. Now, you know, I'm an Illinois fan. Northwestern is our designated rival. I have two different schools of thought on this. I'm happy for the guy. Uh, I mean, he was put in a situation which, you know, what had to be the worst in football. Um, you know, he had no plans whatsoever to have the responsibility that uh, he was going to undertake. And uh, he took over a team that had the talent to win four games combined the last two years. And we're, he's already won five. So, I mean, he's done an incredible job. Uh, he was awarded with a five-year contract. I, I don't know quite know the amount of money. I guess Northwestern's private. They may not even disclose it. But, uh, Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you said, happy for the guy. Um, <clears throat> Northwestern, again, one of those teams that was, you know, for a while they're just really sneaky, always pretty good Big Ten uh, West team. Um, and then they just, you know, the last couple of years has been horrible. I mean, I think their defense was giving up near 30 points a game average over the last two seasons. And, you know, he's come in and those players are bought in. You can tell the players have bought in, which means they trust him, which means he's a good leader. Right. So all that the proof's in the pudding right there. The dude's a good leader. He's he's well spoken. Um, and he, he came in there and he he said all the right things, right? Like he didn't come in there saying he was gonna do do too much. He was basically saying we're gonna put one foot in front of the other when he was introduced there. And that's all he's done. You know, he's taking it game by game. He's got, like I said, he's got these players bought in, got the defense playing at a, an excellent level. Their their turnover margin in the last couple of years is minus twenty four. It's been plus five this season. So that's in that's all him, right? Like the talent is the same, if not, you know, somewhat worse than it was, but he's come in there and he's got the players playing at a high level. And this is exactly what Northwestern needs, because if, if this if this season went down the, the drain and they had to do a whole coaching hire, that's another year where they're not getting in the recruiting cycle and stuff like that. This was a godsend for Northwestern and now they can start really recruiting under him and he can he's already building those relationships. So it really springboard North uh, springboards Northwestern to get back to where they were a few years back. So yeah, great story, like you said though. Jeffrey. I hate it. Northwestern is gonna be good again. I, I mean, I, I don't want to hide this. I, I I we cover all 14 teams, but another thing that we say is 
we're not going to hide who we are. I'm an Iowa fan, you know, my co-host, Michigan, Illinois fan. Uh, so since, at, you know, for the longest time, Kurt being an Illinois fan, me being an Iowa fan, one thing that we could share in is how annoyed we were with Northwestern being as good as they were over the years. Uh, I'll be honest, looking over the last two years, I keep, and then going into this year, my thought process was, oh man, I think Northwestern's going to stink. Finally, just an auto win on the schedule, right? Type of deal. I feel like we could use some more of those in the Big Ten, if I'm being honest, one or two more auto wins. And uh, uh, I remember, I don't know how much you you guys watch the Big Ten Network, you know, where they do the camp tours. I check all those things out, just see little info I can pick out. And one just, just sticks in my head is when they interviewed Braun, and they said, how's the team looking? And he paused. I mean, we're talking a good two, three-second pause. And he said, we we got a lot of work to do. And There's I that. remember thinking like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, they are going to stink. You know, like that was my, my confirmation. The first game out of the year, they get boat raced by Rutgers. And not that I thought Rutgers was going to be horrible. I didn't think they were going to be beating anybody 24 to nothing Rutgers. And they win the next week and then lose. And then win, and they. By the way, they've won, lost. You know, every every game this year, and every game they've gotten better, five percent better. Five, you know, and it's just incredible what he's done. I mean, if he wins Big Ten Coach of the Year, which I think if they if he gets to a bowl, he's he's certainly in in the running. It's incredible. Don't get me wrong; it is a feel good story. It just doesn't make me personally feel all that good. But it is amazing what he's done. That's that's the the, the honest truth. This year, you know, for Illinois, especially now, we were kind of counting on that Northwestern win to get us, you know, either clinching a bowl or getting a better bowl. So, you know, as Jeffrey, as you brought up the fact that they have one lost every other weekend. Well, we're on schedule to lose to Northwestern then in two weeks. <laughs> right. So that's, you know, that right. doesn't make me too happy. I, it's a feel good story. But for me, I think it's one of those where. Let's see what happens in the offseason. You know, the coaches that they have now were signed on with Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, you know, it, come off season, you know, Braun is a new guy. They're not necessarily his guys. They may look for new opportunities. We don't know what his recruiting is going to be like. You know, he's never recruited at this level before. He's never coached at this level before. So it, it's a wonderful story for this year. And the fact that they won five games, again, they won four the last two years combined is an amazing story and you know as one of our uh, protected rivals moving forward it's in my best interest that northwestern isn't the northwestern of the prime uh, pat fitzgerald era um it's a bummer for me to as an illinois fan to see how you know successful he's been uh this coming year but i'm also not ready to anoint him uh as the next pat fitzgerald because i i really want to see that he just could be riding a high right now. Uh, you know, we see what's going on with Mississippi State. You know, they essentially gave Will Arnett that head coaching job, and I don't think he uh, survived his first year. Mm-hmm. You know, he just right. he just wasn't ready for it. So, it's a story where you know, fairy tale start, um, and you know, maybe that's all they just kind of need is kind of a transition. You know, maybe they need some a feel good story after that Fitzgerald. And then in a year or two, he kind of flames out. But then the Fitzgerald story is kind of old and the the stink is gone from the Northwestern job. And, you know, they're able to because, you know, being a Big Ten job, they're going to have candidates. They're going to have money to bring in a top notch coach. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, I guess I'm just kind of in a wait and see mode. Can I piggyback on that? Sure. Of course. Uh, to your point, I, I think Northwestern though, like I think schools like Northwestern that don't have a history of winning and stuff like that. I think schools like that are going to benefit from these storylines in recruiting. Like I think the storyline in and of itself, and that's getting eyes onto Northwestern winning, that's getting eyes onto Northwestern, that's getting recruits attentions. So I think that in and of itself, you know, regardless of the coach, um, is just going to help them in recruiting because Northwestern's relevant. You know, if they come out here and win one game and, you know, have to do a coaching search this offseason, nobody's really paying attention to Northwestern. No recruits are looking to go there. So I think the storyline for a school like them, I think it I think it helps them in an, uh, to an extent at that um, at that phase in the season. Transfer portal as well. Yeah. Yeah. NIL. I hope they win six games this year and then eight next year. And then some big school hi- hires him away and they hire Tim Beckman to be their coach. <laughs> there, there, there's my, there's my host. That. You can get Scott Frost. Yeah. Uh, you can take Scott Frost. But... <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to, let's now talk about the reason everyone's tuning in right now. Um, there's a man who's got a very important quarterback decision coming up for this weekend for a very important game. Justin, I'm going to start with you. Should I start Justin Fields or CJ Stroud on my fantasy team this Stroud? <laughs> Is that a question? Come on. He's no, lighting the world on fire right now. Obviously, I'm I'm talking about you know the Iowa and Illinois game. And Jeffrey, I saw this stat earlier today and I knew this was gonna happen moving forward, but it, I still kind of got sad inside. Like this is going to be the first time in X amount of years or next year that Illinois and Iowa are not going to play head to head. Like the next time we're going to play after this is like 2026 and 2028. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. that's a bummer for you guys. Cause for the most part, you guys have had pretty decent success for us and you guys are loaded with rivals. You know, everyone was basically begging to be a rival, a protected rival of Iowa. Uh, whereas Illinois kind of doesn't, we have the natural one with Northwestern. And we have one-ish with Purdue. So, you know, Iowa and Illinois basketball hate each other. Um, I think the hate is more from Illinois fans towards Iowa in football than Iowa fans really give credit to Illinois. Um, Again, that's my opinion. But uh, what do you think? What do do you think about the rivalry? Um, What do I think about the rivalry? Certainly... I'm a much more of a football guy than than basketball. Don't get me wrong. I, I follow basketball, you know, just fine, just not to the degree of football and, and my understanding of it. Uh, but enough to know that I can't stand Illinois basketball fans. Uh, so uh, <laughs> definitely feel it there. Um, really didn't hear much from Illinois football fans for years and years, you know, as I pick up followers on Twitter and, you know, we pick up listeners on the podcast then they got good, you know, Beetle got there and got them running and, and they came out of the woodwork and started talking some smack. And I'm like, Oh, all right, here we go. We got some Illinois football fans, you know, and then Illinois finally got the win over Iowa last year. And boy, they came on full force. That's all it takes. Right. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I, I got enough room in my heart to dislike Illinois football <laughs> fans as well. That's, that's been fine, but I'll be honest with you for the most part, it, it's, it, it was more of a rivalry to me back in the day. Okay. Um, I'm old enough to remember the nineties. All right. My brother played football at Iowa. So I remember, you know, some really good Illinois teams and, and that, uh, but over the years, yeah. I mean, obviously with Illinois struggling, it, it certainly got pushed down the list, but my gosh, the list for Iowa, 
you know, Iowa State, Nebraska, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. My God, you know, like we got four trophies that if, if you go three and one in those trophy games, the one you don't win is the one Iowa fans are going to talk about the most. It's tough, for, you know, so if it, I don't like Illinois going away, I just want to say that I don't like any of this. I, w- I want to play the same teams all the time. I wish that's how it was, but. It, it's not going to be a rivalry that I'll necessarily lose sleep over losing, but, but I don't like it. You know, at the same time, I want to be clear. I wish, I wish Iowa and Illinois were playing every year. I guess before we get into the game, just to kind of piggyback on your topic, uh, name Iowa's top five, in your opinion, hated rivals in order. My, mine. <laughs> your, your personal as an um, Iowa. Yeah. 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 Wonder who's one. Uh boy, that's tough. Um <laughs> probably Nebraska's number one, yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um and yeah. then uh Iowa State, very close. It's like one A, it's like one A and one B there a lot of times. Um Minnesota would be third for me, Wisconsin four. As far as five, I mean you can kind of fill it in. Sometimes it's Penn State, you know, Illinois. It's that's it's a little bit more difficult with with that, but it's a lot of rivalries. It's exhausting, to be honest with you. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll we'll start talking about the game a little bit. And uh, there's, uh, you know, been stories going back and forth uh, about Brett Bielema and whether he announced a quarterback or not. Uh, two days ago on SiriusXM Radio uh, in the morning. Actually, I think it was yesterday. In the morning, he, he basically – the tweet went out that he says Luke Altmyer's healthy and Luke Altmyer is, is the starter. So – Illinois Twitter went insane. Uh, Big Ten Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, went nuts, all talking uh, and second-guessing Bielema and how do you bench a guy who just threw 500 yards. And I kind of understood, but I have been kind of going back and forth with this decision in my own head. On the post-game review on Sunday, I actually said that I would consider starting Altmeyer. No, sorry, uh, I would start Paddock. And Austin thought I was crazy. Austin said you had to go with Altmeyer. And then I logged on to Twitter and I saw pretty much like 80% of Illinois Twitter was on my side, starting Paddock. Yeah. I started thinking it over a little bit more. I heard what Brett said yesterday morning. And then as uh, I've got a couple of friends who were uh, big Hawkeye f- uh, friends and uh, they were saying, and I guess this is how else, you know, actually I come from an Illinois perspective. Uh, let's hear mm-hmm. like, the outsider's perspective first. Uh, Jeffrey, go ahead. Yeah, I joked on the podcast. This is one of the rare times where I think Iowa and Illinois fans are, are agreeing on it, uh, meaning that I think the best quarterback to play is Paddock. Uh, you, you see the stats aren't everything. Certainly catching uh, Minnesota kind of on their heels. And then there were busted coverages with Indiana I'll be bold to say I don't think he would have 500 yards and five touchdowns versus this Iowa defense. With that being said, suddenly you see the wide receivers. It's almost like the wide receivers have as many stats in the last, you know, game and a a half a quarter that they have the whole previous year combined. Suddenly these wide receivers look good and catching the ball. It's not a coincidence. It has to be the guy throwing the pill. So like, I know that's part of it. He, he suddenly, Pat Bryan is suddenly open, even if he's covered, you you know, like Isaiah Williams suddenly always, you know, uh, uh, running across the middle and he's getting hit. So I, I would think Paddock is the right choice. It seems like 
the players, the Illinois players, just love the dude. But this is the murkiness and, and of of Division One football, in my opinion, from what I'm hearing behind the scenes. There's pressure from the Altmeyer family squad. Uh, promises were made, as in, if I'm healthy and doing my job, I'm the starter. And and, and just I see your uh, shake your head. I, I support you shaking yeah. your head at the same time. It's tough because coaches want to hold up their end of the bargain as well. So I'm not saying it's the right an- the right answer, but at the same time, it's not as easy as maybe it seems to be. Um, and lastly, let's say they start with Lukey Legs, okay? If the offense isn't moving, you can switch to Paddock, okay? We've already shown that he has the ability to come in the game. That's what I think we'll see. It would be my prediction that Altmeyer starts the game, isn't as effective, and, and Paddock comes in. Uh, my guess is Phil Parker will be uh, getting his guys ready for for both quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, I think my thing on is I agree, Paddock, uh, easy. But here's here's my reasoning why. Um, if you look at Altmeyer, right, the ceiling's lower with Altmeyer in probably most of our opinion. Um, so on paper, the matchup, right, I was much better than Illinois on paper. So to me, you have to ride the hot hand right now. That guy is, you know, there's a reason the Illinois fan base wants him. He was talking about the players, you know, rallying around this guy, the story, that everything's there. Last two games of the season, you got to ride something like that and and just hope that that can carry you on those last couple of games. Just ride that momentum because it's not going to carry you through a full season, of course, but it can carry you through these last couple of weeks. If you go to him, and, and of course, Iowa's defense being as as good as it is, you're going to need the one that gives you the best opportunity to score points. And right now, that's Paddock. And so, I, I you know, the Altmeyer parents thing, I, the, the parents, the whole parent thing in this and trying to like push, you know, my son, like it reminds me of like Little League Baseball, you know? So that's that in a way is frustrating. I know, especially if you're an Illinois fan to try to, to, try to deal with stuff like that. But yeah, Paddock, the ceiling is much higher with him. The offense is going to play well comparatively to what they would look like against Iowa with Altamire. I think they'll look better against Iowa. I don't know if they necessarily look good, but yeah, it, it's got to be him for sure. You just got to take that and just run that as much as you can and just till the wheels fall off, but a couple games left, they might not. The, no, the I, one thing I would add, I, I agree with all that. The one thing I would add is, I do think there's maybe a little bit more feast or famine with Paddock. Uh, so if you get the feast, obviously that's good. Yeah. I I wonder if maybe there's a little too much confidence. Uh, yeah. And and when he starts to you know force the ball against a, a very disciplined Iowa defense, although we're down one guy that hurts hurts dearly. Um, Iowa typically makes you pay with that. Altmeyer throws some picks too, right? So so I I'm not I'm not saying that that's not there. Uh, Something to look out for. I, I predict. I said on the podcast I could see Illinois winning this game twenty-seven to thirteen, or Iowa winning the game twenty-seven to thirteen, depending on you know where the feast or famine comes from. Um, but that probably is just me talking myself into hoping that that they play Lukey Legs because I yeah. I do feel like that probably fits what we want to see a little bit more. See now, my opinion uh, as someone who's watching every single game, every single snap, is I think a lot of people, as they tend to do naturally, kind of live in the moment. Um, Illinois had reasonably high expectations coming into the season. You know, I, I saw projections anywhere from second to fourth. Uh, a couple of people had them winning um, the division, and we stumbled out of the gate. 
And, you know, the two games that we had on primetime were against Penn State, where Luke Altmeyer threw four interceptions. We all saw that game. And uh, the Friday night game where uh, Illinois played against Nebraska. Nebraska won 20 to 7. Nebraska played awful, but Illinois just played worse. It was, that was one ugly. of the worst football games I've ever seen in my that was life. Terrible. It was the worst um, until the next week Nebraska game, and then that became the worst. So. <laughs> and then uh, essentially uh, after that, we had lost to Purdue, and we thought the season was over. Our offensive line was in shambles. Luke Altmeyer's uh, touchdown to interception ratio was going the wrong way drastically. And we're, we had uh, Maryland up next. And we thought the season was over. Maryland at the time was 5-0. and Then they just lost to Ohio State after putting up a pretty decent fight in the first half. And then we started making some changes on the offensive line. We started moving guys around. We basically, our starting running back, Reggie Love, got hurt. So we lost our second and third running backs. And we handed the reins over to a four-star freshman named Caden Fagan. Then all of a sudden things started turning around. We had a pretty impressive victory against um, Maryland. We were dominant in the first three quarters against Wisconsin. We had an 18-point lead. Johnny Newton, in a 60-40 call, I'll say, got ejected. Yeah. And uh, Wisconsin came back and won that game. We followed that up with a pretty solid win over Minnesota. You know, Minnesota's a, a pretty solid, competitive Big Ten West team. And then we saw the game against uh, Indiana uh, last week. Now, putting the Indiana game to the side, I just want to talk to, about the games in the middle. Luke Altmaier win uh, in that Minnesota game ha- was something like 17 for 21 with three touchdowns and one interception. Since that Penn State debacle, Luke Altmaier has 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, and three interceptions. The offensive line, you know, that Brett specialty, the coaching staff has somewhat figured it out. We went from an awful, you know, bottom tier uh, P5 offensive line to at least average. We've gotten the emergence of Caden Fagan as our running back. We've turned into the team that I thought we were going to be coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Luke is playing just fine. Like, I, I hope, like, I don't sound cocky when I say this, but there's there's a chance that Illinois has two of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten West. Y'all beat us for sure. <laughs> so, you know, uh, obviously the drive uh, against Minnesota, Justin, you and I were texting back and forth because I, I couldn't watch it anymore. Um, you know, Paddock comes in. Minnesota had no time to prepare for Paddock. Uh, he throws three amazing passes, 88 yards, touchdowns. Context matters. You know, it was against prevent defense. Minnesota didn't really have any time to prepare for this guy. Indiana, in the Indiana game last week, uh, I think Luke Allmeyer would have thrown for 350, if not 400 yards in that game. Our guys were getting past their defensive backs like I've never seen mm. all season long. Now, there is a difference between the two. Paddock doesn't panic nearly as much. Uh, Lukey Legs, you know, we know Lukey Legs – he offers a different dimension in the sense where he can run the ball. He can scramble. If nothing's there, and we saw it at the first half of the season when our offensive line was just god-awful, Luke would extend drives for us. You know, get a 15-yarder here, a 7-yarder here, run for a 35-yarder here, a 60-yarder. He can do that. He can bring that faster to the game. 
John Paddock, you know, and I don't know if it's just because he's in the sixth year of NCAA football, he makes decisions very quickly. I think I saw a stat like of uh, all quarterbacks who have taken 60 snaps, he's got the quickest release time from snap. It's like two and a half seconds. Hmm. And that's huge. So, again, I, I come in like two schools of thought against Iowa. And this is how I basically – this is how I justify it in my head. I think Luke – if Luke starts, we have a good chance of getting anywhere from 14 to 17 points against Iowa. Okay? Now, can Iowa get to 14, 17? I don't know. But we have good – you know, uh, we've got a solid running back, wide receivers, quarterback – I think uh, I just saw. Uh, I think Justin, you guys talked about it in your. No, it was a different show. Illinois has got a top five passing offense in the Big Ten. I didn't even know that. You know, we've got a pretty decent offense, and yeah, Iowa's been feasting on all these unders, but they're not exactly playing real offensive juggernauts either. Illinois, I think, is going to be one of the better offensive teams that Iowa has played uh, in a few weeks. So I think we can get to fourteen, if not seventeen points. I think Paddock, on this insane run that he's on, can hit the 20s. But Paddock can also have us shut out. Iowa's now got a week, almost two weeks, of game tape on John Paddock. And you're giving Phil Parker that much time for a guy who was just an average Mac quarterback last year. Do you mind if I throw something in on that point? Yeah, go ahead. ahead. So, yeah, higher ceiling for him, lower floor. I think you take that risk, though, because if if he's only able to get you, you know, or if you feel like he's able to get you in this box, well, you're boxed into that high end. You're going to need to exceed whatever that that window is to be able to beat Iowa um, because they're the better team. So, you know, just, just throwing that in there, I think you have to take the riskier play because the floor versus 13 is maybe still a loss, but that 20 to maybe 27, that might be the difference between a win. And the, I think I the counter to that, the counter to that is, but if you start out with Lukey legs, see how he does. Um, yeah. Maybe you're just fine with Lukey legs. If you're yeah. down by 10, which is like 20 on most teams, yeah. then you put Paddock in and see, because at that point you got nothing to, to lose. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, honestly, I think I think that's probably the best app. app the thing is just let, yeah, like you said, just let it go and give him a couple drives and just see because I think Sonny, you said that Illinois is slow starting anyways, so that may work well, out. That was more so the first half of the season. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. If a gun to my head, I actually think Brett's going to do the opposite. I think Brett is going to start with Paddock and see if the magic is still there. Because the key is if you get seven, 14 points, uh, seven, 14 point head start on Iowa, you're putting Iowa in a position where Mark. they may not be built to come back. Mm-hmm. But if you have a couple yep, three right. outs and you see, you know, the, the defensive backs, you know, clamping on the wide receivers and you kind of get a glimpse of Paddock from what he was performing against Penn State, you know, the last time he played a really good defense, you have your starting quarterback, Luke Altmaier, still there. Um, so I think that's what Brett's actually going to do. I think he's going to go the reverse. I think he's going to see if the magic is still there with Paddock. You know, maybe you guys kind of talked about it. You know, Altmaier, this is his first full season as a starter. Whereas Paddock, he's been – he's in his sixth year of uh, college football. 
He has this confidence in his interviews and, you know, he's won the love of his teammates just because he's so happy. He's so grateful. And he's got, and this is not the right word, but he's got this cockiness to him. And you can see it when he throws that ball. And maybe I think that's what you need against Iowa because there's not a lot of people that are giving us any chance to win this game. Um, And again, for me, I think, He's going to start with Paddock. I think that's what I would do too. I know I made a whole argument right now about Luke Altmeyer, but I think personally, you have to <laughs> see there, there's this beauty of college football. And John Paddock is kind of the personification of that. So let's see if John Paddock can, you know, continue the magic against uh, Iowa. We can continue it against Northwestern. And somehow, John Paddock, you know, with this amazing Illinois legacy story, leads us to the Big Ten West champion or the Big Ten championship when we thought our season was over after week five. Can I ask you a question, though, about something you said earlier? So I remember you mentioned um, Paddock. The receivers were getting more separation with Paddock versus Altmaier. The thing is, um, my question is, is it the same game plan? Are they calling the same plays for both? Would those receivers also be open for Altmaier that are open for Paddock, you know, if the game was called differently? I, I don't know if I said they were getting more open for Paddock, I think it was the Indiana defensive backs, and I don't know what defensive. All right, yeah, that week what, would would that have happened against Altmaier? Was the game plan different? Do they scheme different for Paddock versus Altmaier? With Altmaier, you can run. You know, as long as you have a good established running game, you can run an RPO. You know, mm-hmm. because Luke can get uh, as we talked about earlier, he can extend drives by himself. Mm-hmm. Paddock. He's going to hike the ball. He's going to look at, you know, first, second, third reads, and he'll make a decision very quickly. But if he doesn't, that Iowa defensive line will get to him. Mm-hmm. Luke will hold on to the ball a little bit longer, and he's probably going to take a couple more sacks. But there's also going to be a play there on third down, on third and seven, where he's going to be able to find a hole, and he's going to be able to get nine, 11 yards there to extend the drive, to hold on to the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the keys I feel like, uh, you know, you – kind of need against an Iowa team. Uh, so, again, I keep going back and forth. Right now, I'm 60-40, start Paddock. I was trying to poke <laughs> holes in your Altmaier one for you, so help you out because, I mean, if they're, they're different skill sets, so they could have honestly schemed a little bit more for Paddock, you know, to throw the ball, and that could have been why they got more separation. You know, had they had Altmaier in there and called the game a little differently, maybe it would have went a little different. So there's also that. Mm. I know, I know Tommy Allen was pulling his hair out at halftime at the end of the game on how many passing lanes they were leaving open. There was some sort of communication. Uh, so it's always hard to tell. I think even if yeah. you ask coaches half the time, you know, they, they might give you an answer that they're, they're walking off the field that surprises anybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we gave up 45 points to Indiana. So it's not like we had some defensive performance yeah. that uh, we're bragging about either. You know, we just happened to uh, come out on the, you know, better end at the end. Um, Jeffrey, you guys had some big news too this week. Uh, yesterday was reported Cooper DeJean, 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 I don't, I, DeJean, DeJean was, uh, did he break his fibula? Was that it? Foot. Did he break his leg or? Yeah. And yeah. now he's going to be out. Lower leg. Yep. He's going to be out for the year. What kind mm-hmm. of impact is that going to have for Iowa? For the rest of the year, essentially. Well, personally, I'd just like to talk about how much it's affected me because uh, it's really bummed me out. <laughs> I'm just joking. A lot. Just tough news. Uh, native son, you know, 
small town Iowa guy, uh, keeps his mouth shut, does his job. I mean, it's just hard not to love the guy with all of the uh, production he's had and splash plays as well. Um, you know, essentially he affects the game in two different ways. It was, it was getting to be three different ways because they had him run, uh, taking snaps on offense. Uh, defense, we have a really good defense. I, I've seen enough Phil Parker defenses to say when we lose players, the defense still remains. He's a good, I want to be clear, he's a good cover corner. He's not an elite cover corner, okay? Uh, better in zone. He'll probably wind up playing safety, uh, which will, which kind of adds some hilarity to it in the NFL. So the loss going from the next guy down to him, Deshaun Lee, Corey Harris, depending on how you want to look at it for getting flipped, it's a step down, maybe not as big of a step down, uh, but it hurts, hurts leadership in, in the backfield, probably hurts more on special teams. Uh, he is an expert gunner. His ability to locate those balls by the great Tory Taylor and down him. I mean, we're not just talking about inside the 10. We're talking inside the three. It's, it's just incredible what those two have. So that's a field position thing. Obviously huge to how Iowa plays the, the game. Also, from what I can tell, punters have just stopped punting the ball to him. They they punt it. They, they sky it as high as they can. So their coverage team has a chance to get underneath it or they get it out of bounds, which is tough for punters. They wind up shanking them about half the time because that's hard to, to, to do. That leads to field position. My guess is you're going to see Illinois punter, name escapes me right now, just say, screw it. Let's see if this guy can, number one, field the ball, which is one of the hardest things to do in all of sports is field a punt. And then number two, if this guy fields the ball, it'd probably be Caden Wetgen. Once he fields the ball, can he do something with it? So it's a huge thing to look at. Uh, only have to go back one year, almost to the day, when Cooper DeGene went out of a game and affected Iowa horribly, uh, both with him covering and then punt return because our backup punt return went in in that game, fumbled it. That was 14 points right there in the difference in the game. Now it's a little bit different when it happens in the game as opposed to, you know, three, four days of practice, but it speaks to what that dude meant to the team and what he has meant the last two, three years. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right on with that. Cause for me, like Iowa seems like the team, I was the type of team that I don't think one player will ever throw them off completely. Um, so while he is a huge loss in the, in the ways that he said, you know, a leader, and then also he's a game breaker, you know, so he hurts in that way. But um, I think with Iowa, the way they're structured and the way they recruit and how solid that team is as a unit, um, I think it affects them, but marginally um, as opposed to, you know, maybe another team that would lose their star player. So I think it impacts them slightly. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It'll be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, you guys have lost what your top three tight ends, your starting quarterback. I mean, you know, the fact that you guys are at now, what, eight and two? Uh, Get me started on injuries. You know, it's, it's you know, another feather in, you know, Frentz's cap. Um How's where, where does 400 yards come from last week? What happened? I didn't watch the game, but uh, what? Yeah, you know, yeah, and um, a part of it is uh, Rucker's defense was just out 
on the field all all day, you know, all into the evening uh, because of Iowa's uh, defense. So certainly a big <laughs> reason that the Iowa's offense looked good is because of the Iowa defense, but uh, you know, field position, all that stuff. I will say, I, I there's been there's been a little bit of switch along the offensive line to to continue on with the theme tonight. Uh, different center uh, last two games. It's looked better. Uh, things have kind of shuffled around a little bit. The pass pro versus Rutgers looked as good as the pass pro has in in a long time. That's part of the reason why Deacon Hill could have some success. Caleb Brown, you know, wide receiver over from Ohio State, suddenly he pops in the game. And I gotta say, Deacon Hill just looked better. He just he stepped up in the pocket, planted his feet. Not that I'm a you know quarterback guru by any stretch, but you could just tell he was he was just throwing a more confident football. And then once that happens, guess what happens? You're, you're off. You, you can rush the ball a little bit better when you get linebackers back on their heels at least a little bit. So it, it all fit together. It took some time, though. I mean, you know, a lot of that offense didn't happen until third and fourth quarter. Uh, but it, it it is it does look better. Um, nobody's going to sing the praises of Brian Ferentz, but I will say, if you, if you take out the number one quarterback, number one and two pass catchers, our running backs were shuffled for weeks at a time too. You know, offensive line have been in and out. You're you're going to you're you're going to take a hit on your offensive number. I mean, obviously, Nebraska and Iowa have been having an injury contest with their uh, offensive squads uh, this year, so it, yep. it's going to hurt you, right? It's going to hurt you. It, it, so I got to give Brian Ferentz credit for just staying at it. I was glad once we knew the news, I understood why they kept him as the offensive coordinator. He's still, whether people like it or not, the best person on staff to lead the offense the rest of the year. It, the, the dude's a grinder. Things look a little bit better, but you know, we still got two, three, four games left. I think if that Iowa offense shows up uh, that played against Rutgers, you guys will cover the spread easy. You know, your let's, hope, let's hope that doesn't happen for both our sake. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get to that right after this. But um, I think, you know, one of the key battles that's going to come down to Saturday with my kind of prediction is which weakness performs better. Our secondary <laughs> has been awful. Our, they're very, you know, obviously we lost three uh, defensive backs in the top 70 picks to the NFL. And so anytime a quarterback has any amount of time to throw, they're going to find a wide receiver. Enter Drazon Newton, who's basically been a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, he's been as dominant of a lineman since, like, I mean, I've heard names like Indomitian Sue, and that's kind of what kind of reminds me of, like, the game plan every single game. Every single game, you're seeing three guys basically try to cover Newton, and Newton still uh, on the uh, a finalist for, you know, Defensive Player of the Year. You see, up 18, he gets ejected from the game against uh, Wisconsin, and all of a sudden the defense is in shambles. So for me, like one of the key is going to be how, if Johnny can give you guys trouble and get to your quarterback, you know, and how Deacon Hill responds to that. And because you're obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not being mean when I say your offense isn't exactly one of your stronger focuses. So if no. If Jerzon Newton can cause havoc and make your offense kind of inept, is your inept better than my inept when it comes to, you know, it's your offense against yep. our secondary, yep. 
essentially is what I'm saying. That's where that's where I'm coming yeah. from. Right no, it's a it's a great point. I love the you know the I can't remember how you worded it right now, but whose weakness will play better? That's fantastic. Because uh, the other thing with with Johnny is he's right up the middle, and let's just say Big Deke and exactly the most fleet of footed you know <laughs> quarterback you ever seen drives me absolutely nuts. So that that certainly makes me nervous. I said on our podcast, I hope they move the pocket. I hope we I hope we boot out. I hope they can get. Deacon away. I hope we're not arrogant with our pass pro. If he is just wrecking it, get somebody in there to help against the guy to, to try to have some success. It is, it is definitely the big storyline in this game. I mean, every now and then uh, Johnny gets tired and he goes out and it's like the offensive coordinator for other team goes, he's out, go like hit the gas, go like they try to get points on the board. We'll see if Iowa, you know, kind of does the same thing if he goes, you know, out of the game. That's exactly what happened against Indiana. Anytime Drazon oh, yeah. went off to the sidelines, Indiana just ran straight up the middle every single time, got 100%. four or five yards. And then as soon as Johnny came back, all of a sudden they have to kind of uh, switch their game plan out again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I take offense to one thing. Never compare that man the to Sue a comment, The Sioux comment? Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> we, we, compared, we compared the two. Um, and Dominican Sue is certainly more consistent. And Dominican Sue also surrounded by more – talent uh mm-hmm. on that on that defense yeah, that, that as defense well for that yeah for sure um obviously you know with the three of us here uh our three teams have the three best shots into getting into that big 10 championship um jeffrey I don't, obviously I oh, feel that way uh, well i, I mean, mean well, no, no. it's yeah. just I mean, it's, that's, that's, what a cinderella story for the big 10 west like just, oh yeah most garbage year of all time. The Illinois fan base was pretty much done with the year after week five. And here we are two weeks left in the season. And, you know, we're like, wait, hold on. We we have a chance to actually still rep- go down to Indy. Um, Iowa obviously just needs to win two games. So mm-hmm. I know, Justin, you're going to be a huge Illinois fan uh, oh, yeah. on, on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey, how, how confident are you? Like, what do you think? You think you can squeeze out one of these wins? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Every, I'll, I'll be a fan here. Every fan is boisterous, you know, out in public. But behind the scenes, you're like, Oof. if we lost the last two games and didn't get to Indy, you know, that would, that would suck. That would stay. Yeah. Um, am I confident that we can win one of the next two? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty confident. I was pretty tough to, to beat in Kinnick, yeah. you know, especially when it's getting to be about nighttime. So, you know, I feel pretty good, but not overly confident, especially with Cooper DeGene being out. Um if if Iowa loses versus Illinois, they can also get in by beating Nebraska. Uh, haven't lost there in over a decade, I believe it is, in, in Memorial Stadium. What's up? The games are always, uh, the last few years, just been steadily close, you know. Always, Every always close. Um, yeah. But if you look at Iowa's record in the close games, yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good at that. Yeah. Like, this, they I, find I a way to win the, yeah, I always think of the the Bane quote. Oh, you you adopted the dark. I was born in the dark. You know that's how yeah. Iowa is in these close, ugly games. Like they don't beat themselves though. We and do. They don't beat themselves. Yeah, and, and that's what and, wins them these games. Right, and until I, I we keep saying the same thing every week on the podcast, Justin. I don't know if you listen. We just keep saying. I said it again this week. You know, if Nebraska doesn't turn the ball over, <laughs> they'll beat Wisconsin. We feel very confident. I, I, we keep saying it. You know, be a nine and, and then team. you keep turning the ball over. Yeah, uh, 
So like we we see the same things, but at some point it's you know it's part of your DNA. But one of the I, I, I would statistically speaking, one of these next two games probably you won't turn the ball over, you know, and you'll be very very formidable. Um, but that, you know, that's where I'm at. I don't know if I've really answered the question. Like, I think we'll get there. That would be, we could actually still get there even if we lose the next two games for how this thing works out. I mean, we keep joking on the podcast. Like I I kept saying the theme is at five and five teams, you know, Wisconsin's in the boat as well. Technically Minnesota and Northwestern are, I mean, their chances of getting in are are basically astronomical, but it's just insane that there are five teams Right, my right four, yeah, five teams that could get to Indy, but also miss a bowl. <laughs> either, either yep. or. It's never yeah, seen it's anything quite like it. And, and Justin, you got a final prediction? Yeah, for uh, for y'all's game, or just yeah, if we're getting in? Oh, um, uh, we can do that after. Well, yeah, um, shoot, I haven't really thought of a prediction. I'm thinking maybe let's go 2013 uh, Iowa. Jeffrey, what do you think? Yeah, I, I prediction on the podcast since we are to record, I'll let it go. I, I got 21-20 Iowa. So I got an Iowa win, an Illinois cover, quite a bit over. That's that's 10 points over the yeah. game total, which which it's people crazy. once I've got yeah, I some people get on me on the podcast once I throw my uh, predictions out on Twitter on usually around Friday around noon. That's when people really get active. People are going to are going to come right at me for having the the craziness to predict 40 you know, one points in the game, but I, I do think there are gaps in the defense for Illinois, you know, that, that what I'm trying to get at is maybe Iowa can actually score some points, you know, and, and with Illinois being hot, you know, throwing the ball, having some chances there. So like people aren't maybe paying his attention as much as they could, that these offenses actually look a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's going to come down to as well essentially does Iowa get that one extra game breaking moment or does Illinois does Isaiah Williams get you know slip through and get a 75 yard touchdown final score um I'm going to make a prediction but I'm also going to say something afterwards uh I have 21 17 Iowa but I'll also say that up until two weeks ago every time I predicted an Illinois win with the final score they lost and so I swapped (laughs) up my strategy and we've turned the season around. So there's some extra thinking behind the score prediction I just made. Yeah, that's smart. Just fade your own, fade your own, your own oh, fade gun. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much hey, uh, for joining tonight. I swear that tonight. stuff works. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, let's, uh, one, once again, uh, where can these uh, my listeners uh, find you guys? Justin, you go first. Uh, yeah, so again, I'm over at Nebraska Football at the Voice of College Football over on uh, Mark Rogers' Voice of College Football Network. Um, I am also on Cheesy Corn Sports, uh, both on YouTube. And um, you can follow me on X, Twitter, whatever you call it, at the uh, the underscore H-Town Husker. So. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Uh, most You'll find me most on Twitter. Uh, I put the tweets out. Uh, every Wednesday and Sunday with our preview and game recaps during the season. But you can find the Eyes on Big podcast on all the platforms, Spotify. We we have the most luck with, with Apple. Uh, if you got any questions, hit me up on Twitter and go from there. All right, gentlemen. I Jeffrey, I don't wish you guys luck the remaining two games. Sorry. <laughs> Not a personal thing. Uh, 
Justin, I hope you guys lose on Saturday because I think we need Wisconsin to beat you guys. But if you lose next week and we win, then I'll root for you guys against Iowa in two weeks. Bring them on your show and then yep, no, I think right. Yep, that whole way, but thanks again, uh, everyone for joining us. Uh, Iowa games on Saturday. Uh, we should have a post game recap, uh, you know, or Sunday or Monday, and then we'll have Northwestern next week. And we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks a lot.